Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be talking about hardware that powers AI, like ChatGPT and Google Bard. Then we're going to head to Camera Corner, where Wendy will discuss the RICO law, W6-6. It's not really RICO law, it's RICO. So sit back, relax, and plug in. Because Hardware Addicts is finally back, and it starts right now. I'm Ryan, your tech guy through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, and Michael, still, after all this time and break, the software sage, but hardware padawan. Let's find out we'll what tech adventure about that. everyone has had this week. Michael, you've had weeks and weeks, months even, to come up with a good hardware story. A lot of stuff to talk about. Wow. So many things that we can't do it on one show. So we're going to have to split it over at least three or four shows. He just opened the box yesterday, so it's still fresh. True. Yep. <laughs> okay, and some of it you're not wrong. But let's talk about what actually... <laughs> we're going to talk about this week and that is i've got a new phone and i got some peripherals related to this phone wow. and this well, phone let me guess. happens to be hold on let me guess let's okay. let's turn this into a little bit of a game You're okay a huge sure. linux enthusiast you've been in linux right. nearly your whole life so it's an android i'm gonna guess um the new pixel 7 from google See, the problem that you chose it is Google. So if you would have said like the Asus ROG phone or something, then that would have made more sense. You'd also be wrong there too because it's an Apple iPhone. <gasps> Not wow. just any iPhone. I decided to get the 14 Pro Max. You're dropping big bucks then. Well, one of the cool things about the iPhone is that they have this zero APR system where you can just pay monthly fee and you don't actually have to worry about interest on it. So that's nice. And it made it a lot easier to get the phone. And I learned this because of the Apple card system that they have. They have their own credit card. And yes. that's cool, except for one little drawback. The amount of money you put on the card in like other systems where the financing is built in a way like how Amazon does it, where based on my previous tests, it doesn't go to your credit. It's just like a financing thing that you're pre-approved for. Whereas Apple decides to put all of the amount of the device on your credit as like debt. So thanks, Apple. Really cool of you. So you're Yay. really, really, really in debt, but you have a new status symbol. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have a Pro Max status symbol, actually. So when you walked into Starbucks <laughs> and you told everyone that you are a... Uh, screenplay writer with your new iPhone 14 Max. How did it feel? Well, I didn't have to tell anyone because they all saw my AirPods Pro at the same time. What? Because I also So got they saw Pro. he was a hipster from the get-go. I mean, <laughs> all you have to do is see the hair and then no. the AirPods added to that mm -hmm. hipster look. That mm -hmm. is definitely not. The hair is no, I don't have a hairstyle that fits the hipster vibe. What it, The reason uh, why they could figure it that. out, the reason they, they, they saw it is because 
I had my iPhone out. I had my AirPods in. I had my lumberjack flannel shirt on. <laughs> and <laughs> all of these things were, it's just a perfect fit to get the How about vibe. skinny jeans? Were you of rocking course the I'm wearing jeans? the skinny jeans. Like, yeah. naturally. Like, can't you can't leave home without you can't them. Have, yeah, you can't be wearing lumberjack flannel and not have skinny jeans. That just seems like a waste, right? Yeah. Totally. Right. Now I'm making but, fun of you, but I also <laughs> I'm making in, fun of me, apparently. I'm also on the iPhone family because, well, it's just the better of the two terrible options that are mainstream. So Yes. I wanna know you were with Android as far as I know for as long as I've known you, and you've switched over to iPhone. Is it better and why? So I have used iPhone before, but it was during the era of like the three GS. So a long time ago. And it was terrible back then because you couldn't even copy paste. It was very lame. And I went from the 3GS with Android G1, then the 3GS, then to WebOS, which is the best ever created. And please bring it back, whoever controls it. And I then went to Apple Now. So I was on Android probably 12 to 15 years, like a lot of time. And it was great here and there for a variety of reasons. Since moving to the iPhone, I have now decided that, well, the iPhone's way better. Like, it's not even close. There's certain things that just make the conveniences of the iPhone ecosystem so much nicer. And the AirPods, that's one of them. The AirPods Pro are very good earbuds in general, but also the connectivity stuff, the being able to detect what device you're connecting to, the easy access to Siri just by saying stuff with your with your AirPods on. It's very nice overall experience. And there's a lot of cool stuff that iPhone can do that most people didn't think that it was possible. For example, like a really long time ago, there was this big kind of trend with Tasker on the Android devices. And Tasker was this huge thing. Everybody's, we can customize it, make it do whatever we want. Apple has the same thing with the iPhone now. It's just called shortcuts. It's not very clear of what all you can do with these shortcuts because they, there's there's no guide in the app. But effectively, it's, essential, it's an Apple Tasker. And yeah. it's pretty cool. So what's interesting about the Apple world is I was spent most of my time in Apple... And Ew. then I went to Android, and I got the new Google Gross. Pixel device, right? <laughs> and I had a you know a commitment there to keep that device for a certain amount of time. And immediately, probably about I think I lasted about a year, year and a half with it, and then went back to iPhone. There were some great things over on Android and in some of the AI, which we're going to talk about AI mm-hmm. later that they have with the ability to remove backgrounds and photography and things like that are amazing. But yeah, the convergence with Apple is, and, and I get it, everyone who's going to say that's because you have to buy Apple products and they're terrible business partners to everyone else outside the world and it's a monopoly. And I get all of that and agree 100%. And the slave labor, but you know. yes. Well, that doesn't really change if you go to Android either. No, yeah, so, that's true. There, there's an issue with there's an issue with with Android and, and Apple, or like the the Apple and Google debate of which one is the worst. 
That's the real debate, not which one is necessarily better in terms of the companies. Like Google and Apple, they both kind of are terrible. Then you compare, right. and you can put it on like the Android partners companies like Samsung, also pretty terrible. Now, if we're talking about the devices like themselves, specifically the merits that the devices have, which one is better? And it's Apple. The iPhone is just a better experience. And I also want to say one thing about the walled garden debate. Yes, it's a walled garden, but it's a garden. So that's kind of nice. It, it has its moments <laughs> of feeling like a little bit of paradise. When you're pairing items with your Apple devices, it works flawlessly. You don't have to keep repairing and unpairing and repairing again or it pairs to the wrong thing. Uh, when you get a new Apple device and you just put it next to your phone, they just work. In fact, one yeah. of the devices I got recently because we were moving and I was taking some of my most prized possessions into a cargo van with us to haul it. The rest of the stuff was coming on a semi. Got some air tags, and I yep. put those in some bags, and it gave me a lot of peace of mind knowing that I could track anything from anywhere, and a lot of people recovered luggage and other things that was lost from airports and stuff with this. But you pull out the air tag, you put it next to your phone, it immediately pops up and says, hey, you got an air tag? Want to sync it? Sure do, and you're done. And that's how it works with the Apple Watch. That's how it works with their laptops. Like everything syncs and works perfectly in unison together. And of course, they can do that much easier because of that walled garden. But at times, that walled garden does feel a little bit like a paradise there. So I want to learn more about your Apple experience. But for the sake of time and for the fact that there's probably a lot of people in the audience who don't want to hear about Apple, let's go to Wendy, who also got an iPhone. <laughs> I did not get an iPhone. Oh. I am the only one now on the hardware crew still rocking an Android device, though my Android device is running custom software. I can't see me ever going the iPhone route. We do have an Apple tablet floating around here that even my kids don't like to use. I hate the user interface. I absolutely Resistance is futile. So I don't see that. I will be rocking my Lineage OS on my OnePlus 9. You know you want to be in the walled garden, Wendy. It's all you know. good. <laughs> no, no, I don't. But I did get a portable device. So as many of you know, I traveled recently for robotics. Our kids made it to Worlds, and that was in Texas. And Houston is a long ways away from my little section of Idaho. And I knew between plane rides and competition and stuff that my phone was being used, my headset would be used, and I wanted to make sure that I had a portable battery device. So I actually found a juice on dual port portable battery on clearance sale. I doubt many of you can pick it up at the same price I did. It was like $12.50. Crazy, crazy cheap. That's a good deal. And it was rated at 20,000 milliamps. And this is one of those things where you really need to read the fine print because the actual capacity is only 11,840, way smaller than what it's rated for, though it's using 5 volts instead of the 3.7. So that's kind of nice as it's not using your phone as much. I typically have two different phones when I'm at home. I've got my book phone, so when I can't sleep, it still has an actual plug-in for 
the earbuds that I listen to my books, help me stay asleep, fall asleep, whatever I need to do. And then I've got my regular phone. My OnePlus 9 no longer has a headphone jack. I did pick up a dongle, but the downside of this dongle when I was traveling was I can't charge it at the same time I'm listening to it. So I'd have it mostly charged and in the middle of the night, wake up, whatever, need to start my book. And then it was a mad dash to get out the door. So as we were out the door and I was using my phone for navigation because there is road spaghetti near Houston, Texas. And yes, that's what I called roadsters stacked on top of each other. You're welcome for that term. <laughs> I was noticing that, oh my gosh, my phone is down to 50%, 40%. And it still had to make it through an entire day of competition. And because I had picked one of these up, no big deal. I have kind of a mess section in the top of my backpack, was able to just connect the cords and charge my phone. And that made sure I got through the day. Throughout the entire week, I did have two with me and my co-mentor and other people used it at the time. I never, ever charged these up. The entire week that I was there, they only charged devices, which was super awesome. I would love to get one for when we are up in the mountains or whatever that is solar powered. But hands down, one of these could get me through the weekend. Like if we took up one of the phones that has the projector and projected a movie onto a sheet, one of these was without a doubt get us through a movie with plenty of battery to spare. So if you haven't picked up a portable battery, this is amazing and I wish I would have had one sooner. They're really convenient, and I know that most airports and airplanes now have USB charging ports and things, so when I'm traveling, you can plug into those. At least that's what I thought, because I always flew Delta, and they always have USB charging ports there. But recently, I was on a Southwest flight, (laughs) and there was no USB charging ports. In fact, they don't even have screens built into the seats. You have to like go through an app on your phone. Most airlines. Well, I only flew Delta because it was like the hub where I was at, and I always went Delta. So I honestly expected when I got on Southwest, there would be screens in the seat and you'd have USB chargers, but there wasn't. (laughs) Thankfully, on that trip, I brought a portable battery and was able to charge my devices. They're extremely convenient and they're kind of one of those things that you could charge to full. And it will lose some capacity over time, but it takes a really long time. So you could pick it up a couple months later and throw it in your bag, and it's still going to have enough juice to get your device charged again. So it's definitely one of those great devices to have around, even for emergencies and things. It's kind of part of your emergency home kit, I think, to have. Yeah, I have a portable battery in my laptop bag just just in case if I ever need it for my devices of whatever. Your Apple devices? No, my Apple devices have really good battery life. I don't have to worry about that probably ever. <laughs> now one of them stays in my backpack for just in case, especially when we're doing robotics things or whatever. It's nice to just have that security in there of, hey, we need to have the robot on the table, but I've got this battery pack so they can now test out the different attachments and the robot can charge at the same time. They're incredibly versatile. So one will stay in my backpack. I don't have a purse. I've got a backpack that now travels with me everywhere. And yes, it is covered in robotics pins. You betcha. But it's now a staple as part of my go with me everywhere. 
That makes sense. Also, I'm curious, Ryan, we're just now coming back to the show, and I assume that you've got some new hardware. So tell us about what Apple product you bought. The Apple product I bought isn't an <laughs> Apple product at all, <laughs> but it does work for the iPhone. So yeah, kind of, sort of. But this is the Backbone <laughs> 1. So I picked up the Backbone 1 mobile gaming controller, which they have an iPhone and an Android version out there. And I got the PlayStation Edition. There also is an Xbox Edition as well. PlayStation Edition has the nice PlayStation logo, so you would think it was actually made by PlayStation, but it's not. It's made by Backbone, but they clearly have a partnership with them. And essentially, it turns your phone into a portable game machine, kind of like a Steam Deck or a Nintendo Switch, but it only works, of course, with mobile games and anything in the cloud. So you can play all the cloud game services, the NVIDIA, uh, GeForce Now, the Amazon Luna, the Steam Link, Apple Arcade, Rainway, Xbox Remote. All of those will Google work. Stadia. In oh, wait. Oh, darn. Yeah, not that one. So it basically <laughs> takes your phone, turns it into a nice controller. It has pass-through charging, which is really nice. So once you dock your phone into it and you put the charger in... It will keep charging your device. So if you had that battery, portable battery backup, you could still keep your device nice and charged up while you're gaming there. And it's a really cool device. And I have the Steam Deck, so, but it's big and it's heavy. And I always have my phone with me. So I thought this would be really cool. And it was <laughs> very cool device, except there's a couple things that kind of knock it down. It's 99 bucks, no big deal, a little bit pricey for a little controller you connect to your phone. But I was willing to get over that, except they also want a subscription fee to basically be able to play any of the games that are optimized for it. So you can use it without the subscription. Ouch. But they want $39.99 per year, which isn't a ton, but it's still like $99 for the device, then $40 per year for their trial of this. And then if you want to use one of the cloud services, you also need to pay for that as well. So it starts to get kind of pricey out there, but I dig what they're trying to do. And I could tell you that on the Call of Duty mobile game, when you're playing on your phone against other people, I could get some pretty good kills in there with it. With this, it was like a cheat code, like the game genie had come back. Like I was slaughtering people. They didn't have a chance. They were still trying to figure out how to rub their thumb to look up while I'm just blasting them away. Uh, with the controller. So in a way, it's kind of a cheat code for mobile games, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's called aim assist, bro. Yeah, it kind of kind of had a little bit of that. <laughs> I was okay with it, though, because I was just getting mad wins in there. And then my son was playing with it, and he got even more uh, mad wins with it uh, than I could. But it's just, it was, it's kind of a really cool idea. And I get why they want the subscription, right? They are going in there, working with these games, creating it so that you've got the kind of optimal controls are working correctly and all of that. So I understand they have to host these servers and things where all of that stuff is there, but it's just a hard thing to swallow for me um, on top of all the Especially other ones. when you're being nickeled and dimed by every other service out there. Exactly. You know, once you got your music service, your streaming services and everything else, your mobile phone plans, and it's just, it's cool, but... Uh, I probably, depending on if you're a big mobile gamer, definitely pick one up. I think you're going to have a heck of a time with it, and it's going to make your games way better. It's one of the best phone controllers, and the design of it's brilliant. Uh, how they have everything's very tight. 
They have special fittings you can add in depending on the size of your phone. Like they've thought of everything. It's really well done. Very nice hardware. Uh, at the same time, I probably would just stick with the Steam Deck, you know, for me personally, um, because I'm not a big mobile gamer anyways, but kind of a cool device to play around with and check out anyways. A lot of people like it. It's got 19,000 4.5 stars on Amazon. So uh, those who are into mobile gaming, and I know a lot of the kids are kind of more exclusively mobile gaming, check mm -hmm. it out. That does sound pretty cool, Ryan. I'll still go with the Steam Deck myself, but this Backbone One mobile controller does seem like a really interesting thing. And another really cool thing that has a great backbone is Linode and their awesome servers. So this episode of Hard Radics is brought to you by Linode. Visit linode.com slash tux. That's linode.com slash T-U-X. And see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 for every level of user, to the ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers and businesses have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Linode offers the industry's best price-to-performance value for all compute inst instances, including shared, dedicated, high memory, and GPUs. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible, allowing you to focus on your customers, not your infrastructure. So visit linode.com slash T-U-X to create your free account. And when you create that account, you're going to get a 60-day, $100 free credit in that account. So go to linode.com slash tux. That's linode.com slash T-U-X to get all of the awesomeness that is Linode's cloud services. So in our core story this week, I want to talk about what powers AI, because there's no shortage of excitement and controversy right now swarming around AI. We have Google Bard. The AI is taking over. It, it is. I mean, how do we know AI isn't just starting hardware addicts back on its own and we're not really even here? You don't. Oh, my goodness. Dun, dun, dun. I think we know by some of the jokes that are being cracked that aren't getting aired. That's you guys aren't AI. Don't tell people about that, Wendy. Good. Oh, I'm sorry. We're all family friendly 100% of the time. So, all the time. <laughs> the two services that are probably the most popular heard of right now is ChatGPT, of course, and Google Bard. Mm -hmm. There's a plethora of other AI tools for all kinds of various purposes, drawing and being able to do your homework assignments and other things too. I don't want to take away from them, but most people at this point have heard of Google Bard or ChatGPT. And the question I started to ask myself when I'm using these tools and even got Michael to start using these tools is what kind of yummy, delicious, powerful hardware is behind all of this amazing infrastructure? So that's what we're going to spend our time diving into in this episode. Am I the only one? Have you guys thought about this? I haven't thought about it until you mentioned it just now, but I am super interested to find out how they're doing this because these things are really cool, and you said that you convinced me to start using it, and that's true. I kind of always looked at it as being uh, factually inaccurate and not worth the time, but there are a lot of cool things it can do if you wanted to like make a creative effort for it. So if you wanted to tell it to write you an email or write you a tweet or something like that, it can do it pretty good and at least maybe give you a rough starting point to go from your from there. So I think this is a really cool and interesting topic with what is powering all these things because it has to be bonkers. Yeah. I mean, the sheer size and infrastructure of just the network that they have handling the amount of traffic that's coming through has to be incredible. 
Uh, let's start with ChatGPT. So what's the easiest way to get the answer to this? Well, why not use AI and ask it what hardware that powers it, right? <laughs> like it's AI. Might as well. It's going to know more than me. Uh, the problem is, well, I'll just read you its response. It says, to train the model, OpenAI used a combination of high-end CPUs and GPUs, including Intel Xeon processors and NVIDIA V100 GPUs. During training, the model was optimized using techniques such as mixed precision training and gradient checkpointing to improve performance and reduce memory usage. So we got a little bit wow, of tidbits so there. Detailed. But yeah, it's kind of vague, right? You're not getting all the <laughs> juicy nuts and bolts that you want out of this. So we know it's got Intel Xeon processors. That's a very standard processor that you're going to see in the server world. But the NVIDIA mm -hmm. V100s was something I hadn't really heard of before. That doesn't sound like something I can go on Newegg and, and go buy or that I see generally. Maybe you can buy them, but you don't generally see them. And that's because... They cost about three to six thousand dollars a piece. Those V one hundred. What a deal! GPUs. What a deal! Yeah, and people are complaining. Yeah, I've never heard of them either. About the thirty nine hundred being like eighteen hundred bucks. Come on. Okay, to be fair, <laughs> that is a ridiculous price point for the consumer GPUs. But when you're working in something like this, where they're running constantly under heavy loads. I would expect them to not only have incredible RAM performance, but amazing cooling as well. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, these are meant for very specific use case. They're not going to sell 10 bajillions of these. Well, they ended up selling 10 bajillion of these, but they probably didn't plan to initially. And then right. AI took off like crazy. So I asked it next, what powers specifically the servers? And it got a little protective. And it was like, that's proprietary. It did, however, <laughs> mention something that was interesting. It mentioned TPUs. And we've never talked about TPUs on this show before. So if you've not heard of them before, well, you're about to get a lesson in TPUs because it's a tensor processing unit, TPU, which are custom-built chips designed specifically for handling machine learning workloads. And interestingly enough, in our conversation earlier in the show, they were designed by Google. Gross. <laughs> So I mean, I've never heard of TPUs, so that is interesting because I at least learned something from this um, vague answer. Yeah, <laughs> I actually expected a dad joke out of that, and I'm a little bit disappointed. You know, we've taken a lot of time off. Michael's working back up to the dad joke levels. It's going to come. I don't want to overdo it, people. That's oh, the okay. issue. If 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 it gets too much, then people are going to be expecting it, and I want them to be precious. Precious. There you go. Now, the cloud TPU resources accelerate the performance of linear algebra computation, and that's used heavily in this machine learning application, and TPUs minimize the time to accuracy when you're training large, complex neural network models, and models that previously took weeks to train on other hardware platforms can be done in just hours on TPUs. So you have CPUs working with GPUs, working with TPUs and clusters to perform this neural network, which is quite fascinating when you think about all of this powered at massive scales. Like I would love to go and just see all of this hardware, take pictures of it and stare at it and all with all the blinking lights and stuff, not having an idea what it's doing, but it would just be cool to be in that server room. And you'd never leave with the pictures. That's true. Never, because <laughs> it's very proprietary. And you, and you may never leave. <laughs> 
at all. Yeah. yeah. You never know of how 2000s there. So these TPUs were being used by Google, interestingly enough, in 2015. And by 2018, they made them commercially available. And this TPU is an application-specific integrated circuit, or ASIC, which you probably have seen that acronym there before, the ASIC. And this design was also adapted in part in the Google Pixel phone. So we're talking about the AI earlier that removes the background photos and all of that. The Google Pixel it phone. just comes full circle. Everything here comes yes. full circle. Uh, so this was their big push for their custom chip to compete with Apple called Google Tensor and powered some of the great features that we talked about, all the camera magic and everything else. And from a pure hardware standpoint and camera standpoint, I think the Google Pixel was very, very impressive device. And they did some really good things, I think, to try to bring Android back. And believe it or not, if you look at Samsung's privacy policy, if you're one of those people who don't use Google because of privacy, which I get, Samsung, in my opinion, is a billion times worse if you read their privacy policy. Because at least in Google, you can technically, if you trust it, turn some of that stuff off. And Samsung is even worse. And there seems to be no way to turn any of their privacy stuff off. So I was pretty happy if I was going to be in the Android world with the Google's version of the phone there. Um, in 2016, when this was introduced, it was 28 nanometers. In 2021, V4 became seven nanometer technology, and it runs at 10 or 1050 megahertz and has 32 gigabytes of high bandwidth memory attached to it, which is really interesting because if you remember a particular time when AMD was coming back into the GPU market, they released a card called the Vega 64. And for its time, it was an absolute amazing video card. I loved it. Some people were just joking about it, like, ah, AMD's never going to come back. Vega 64 wasn't as powerful as the current NVIDIA at the time. But I loved it for artistic applications and rendering and things. And all of that was because of its high bandwidth memory. So it wasn't as much of a gaming card as it was a production card, but it used that high bandwidth memory. It made a huge difference if you're rendering videos or doing that type of stuff. And Wendy, you would love- I think I'm using like that. the Vega 64. They can still run like a monster. There is actually a Vega 64 still running at my house. Yes, yes. Yeah, and Michael, you said, I think you do have a Vega 64. Had one, for sure, because I gave you mine, I think, and I love that card. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I still have the Vega 64. For those who are curious, my hardware knowledge is- very high. My my level of memory, not so much. I would say neither of those is so much. <laughs> but that's just me. I mean, you're free to argue if you want, but I mean... Fidget spinners, that's all I've got to say. Yeah. We could ask AI what AI <laughs> thinks about it. Um, so I went then to Google Bard, because I'm not getting the answers I want. Maybe Google's going to be a little more transparent but if you thought ChatGPT was secretive on its hardware, that's nothing compared to Google Bard's response. When I asked Google Bard, it said, the specific hardware that powers Bard is not publicly known, but is likely to include a large number of servers and GPUs. Gee, thanks. We kind of could have guessed wow. that on our own. Man, that AI right. is so helpful. Whew, that AI is powerful. The large amount of data that Bard is trained on requires a lot of storage space, and the GPUs that are used to process the data are very powerful. Without this hardware, Bard would not be able to function as it does today. So... 
obviously at that point, show's over. You know everything you need to know about the hardware that powers Bard. Hey, Ryan. Yeah. You know what just happened there? Google barred you from knowing what the hardware was. (laughs) (laughs) Bard. (laughs) The dad jokes have returned. (laughs) Yes. Aren't we lucky? So. Kind of. Then I had this evil plan. They're competitors, Google Bard and ChatGPT. So I wondered, would Google Bard tell on ChatGPT? Would it, using its AI algorithms, give me some more information on ChatGPT and the hardware that it uses? And it did give me some more information. It said the training of ChatGPT required 10,000 NVIDIA A100 GPUs, which are some of the most powerful GPUs available. Again, never heard of the A100 GPUs before. Uh, When I went and looked them up, those A100s are $10,000 a piece. Everybody needs one. Everyone needs one. So if you really want to flex your computer hardware and you want to beat out anybody's like, I got a 4090, be like, yeah, I got an A100. It's 10 grand. It doesn't game very you well. You can't properly utilize it, but you've got one. You've got one. That's right. That's the <laughs> ultimate flex in the hardware. It's not world. optimized for literally <laughs> anything that you use, but you could get it. Yes, you could if you had $10,000. Now, these GPUs are used to process the massive data sets of text and code that ChatGPT is trained on, and the large amount of data that ChatGPT is trained on requires a lot of storage space, obviously, as it mentioned. I mean, that was very revealing and are used to process all of this powerful data. So it was willing to tell me more about ChatGPT than itself. So then I went to ChatGPT to see if it would tell on Google Bard, to which it replied, Google BERT, bidirectional encoder representations (laughs) from Transformers, is a large-scale natural language processing model that was released in 2018, while the exact hardware specifications used to power BERT at Google are not publicly disclosed it is likely that the model is run on large-scale infrastructure consisting of high-performance CPUs and GPUs. We did wow. learn something about something that has nothing to do with what you asked, but hey, there's, there's that. There's that. So then I went back to BARD and asked what kind of GPUs it uses, to which it responded Google BARD uses Google's custom-designed tensor processing units, which we already figured out, and they're designed specifically for this machine learning, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I did some Google searching after that, after the failure of AI to properly answer my questions. And ChatGPT initially used a Microsoft Azure supercomputing infrastructure powered by NVIDIA GPUs, which we knew that Microsoft built specifically for OpenAI and that reportedly cost hundreds of millions of dollars. So we've got a lot of figures when it comes to, or information when it comes to the amount of money that was spent to do all this. So I couldn't get the AI to trick each other into divulging the information that I wanted from them. But there are all these little hacks that people are doing with the AI behind the scenes. And I'm hoping maybe someone in the community can send us if they can get one of these, like word they wordsmith things in a certain way to get the AI to do stuff that it's not meant to do to see if we can get some more information on this. So in summary, I'll leave you with this. I asked Google Bard one more question. I said, what other applications outside of AI could you use a TPU for? Because I think the most interesting thing out of all of this was the TPU. And TPUs can be used for a variety of applications outside of AI. It responded, including data analytics. So TPUs can be used to accelerate data analytics workloads, such as machine learning model, training infrastructure, natural language processing, 
such as text translation and sentiment analysis. That's nice. Image recognition. So all of the stuff to detect a facial recognition and all of that. Very interesting. Speech recognition. TPUs could be used to accelerate speech recognition workloads, such as voice search and dictation, and video processing. They can accelerate video processing workloads, such as video transcoding and object tracking. So TPUs allow spyware to work. Well, if you want to look at it negatively, Wendy, yes, this is probably what Big Brother (laughs) is using on the highways and street corners to capture. You also could have taken a different route of saying that the speech recognition stuff with like dictation, like dragon and the stuff they do for the medical field. And so you could take it in a positive way. You could take it in a positive light, but I have (laughs) earned my sinister Wendy. So that's true. That's true. (laughs) So everyone who wants to get a sinister Wendy t-shirt, they are out there on our website. So go to tuxdigital.com and pick yourself up a sinister Wendy shirt. You know now why we call her Sinister Wendy. TuxDigital.com slash store. There you go. Pick one up. But it also said TPUs will play an even bigger role in a variety of industries in the future. So I think there's going to come a time, potentially, where we will be shopping for a new computer. And we're going to look for that nice power supply. We're going to go grab our GPU. We're going to go grab our CPU. And then maybe... We're going to grab a new TPU as well for our next custom builds. I think that's an interesting thought, but also it's Google, so probably not. They'll probably just keep them. Well, they did make them commercially available, which means they're making money now off of Now who's them. being sinister? Yeah. Now who's negative? <laughs> you know? Oh, my bad. First Wendy, now you. I got to make my, <laughs> my own shirt now for Michael, Sinister Michael. Yes. So I didn't get all the answers I wanted and everything that powers all of these amazing AI tools, but we got a little closer to the truth. And who knows, maybe someone out there will be able to hack one of these tools to give us more information or it'll get leaked out there eventually. But at least we got to learn a little bit about TPUs and some very expensive graphic cards out there. But it is that is worth knowing that they refuse to tell us. So on, on the bright side of things... AI, we wish we knew you. We wish we knew you, AI. (laughs) It is really disappointing that we don't get to know all the little bits and pieces of what run AI as far as hardware goes. But one thing we can definitely look forward to is Bitwarden doesn't hide any of that. They let you know exactly what they're doing with your data, which is absolutely nothing and when someone goes to do any of the checking of their code they share all of that with you and that is why bitwarden is a sponsor of hardware addicts and they're the password manager we use and trust bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. You get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, 
two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus Priority Customer Support. And I think the favorite part for me is the fact that they let you know exactly what the security policies are. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. That's the way to do it, Wendy. And now, after so many weeks, I get to say, Wendy, take us into the camera corner. Well, really, it's more about my trip to Texas. So we'd covered this... Rico camera before the W6-6 and it's really a cool little camera. So quickly let's go over the specs. It's this handheld size point and shoot camera. It's got a focal length between 5 and 25 millimeters. Nothing spectacular that way. One of the things that I love about this is it has a built-in ring of lights and you can use it for macro photography. But one of the biggest reasons why this is the camera, and we actually have two, one for each kid that my kids took with them to Texas, is they are built to be dropped so they can take an impact and they are waterproof. So they do have pictures using the camera from the samples of them actually in the water. I knew we were going to go to Galveston. I knew we were going to go to the beach. My daughter was super excited to take all kinds of pictures there. And I wanted one that if it fell out of the hands, it hit the water, got too close, that now whatever camera we were using wasn't going to be totally destroyed. So in hand, there is a little place on the bottom and that's where your SD cards goes. That's where there is a rechargeable battery and a battery port. And it does have a pretty dang nice seal around it. I have to say they feel decent in hand and they're so easy to stick in a backpack. My kids packed them on the airplane. They had them with them in the convention center they had them at the beach, everything, and they were so easy and so light to store anywhere. Now, as far as image quality goes, I think if they're in the hands of an adult, you might be a little bit better. There was a lot of the pictures that my daughter took that are a little bit blurry, especially when the lighting wasn't overall great. You're not going to get like super amazing pictures if you're moving at the same time. And I guarantee she wasn't always stable but they hold some amazing memories. The battery lasted just fine. My daughter, of course, took more pictures than my son, and she never had to charge the device, though she did have her own battery pack if she needed to. And after the hands-on with this camera, if you need something small, especially if you're going to have it by the water, I would a thousand percent recommend this to throw in your backpack, take to the beach and have it to capture those memories and not have to worry about, is it getting wet or something bulky that's bouncing around as you got to get on a plane? Yeah, this camera is awesome. I remember covering this before because Michael's Ricola joke that he had, but <laughs> looking at this, it's waterproof up to 20 meters, shockproof, freeze-proof, crush-proof. It's got an aluminum chassis, so it's meant to be dropped and everything, which is perfect for kids. I know this because my kids have broken quite a lot of tablets. 
<laughs> over the years. <laughs> yes. I wish they'd make it. It's a- also good for sore throats. Oh my gosh, Michael. Unbelievable. <laughs> it is meant for outdoor design. And so that means it can almost handle all of the uh, kids' uh, punishment that they'll put up to it. But the ring light function is really cool. So this is kind of a problem with a lot of cameras is you either have to have kind of an external light or that hooks into the shoe or they have built-in flashes and things, but they don't always, if you don't know what you're doing like me, uh, work super well. But this has got a nice ring light. Ring light function, mm-hmm. I know. And you can use this for shooting movies as well as taking pictures in there, which is really cool that they've kind of thought of everything. And I also saw that you can use it as a webcam, which is kind of yeah, dope. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You can. And movie-wise, it does up to 4K. I would love to take it out and test it on my own. I haven't had time even since we got back. They showed up just before we went to Texas And then um, my body was like, hey, now that you're home, you're just going to sleep for a few days. So I will take them out and play with them. And those ring lights are amazing for macro photography. So say you're out camping, say you're wanting to take pictures of small things on the beach. I know they did find a hermit crab when we were on Galveston Beach. I don't think they got a picture of it before. It was like, I'm out of here, guys. (laughs) But it is one of those things that because you can get so close and because it has that built-in ring light, you can take pictures of those tiny things with a camera like this. And they did. They survived a week to Texas with my kids and all the craziness amazingly well. My son did get some interesting pictures of clouds outside of our airplane, but it is one that I'm glad we went with because of the way it handles all things crazy kid and so flexible. I would love to throw it up on the system, try it out as a webcam one time, see how that works. So there will be more testing with it, but anything that survives my children for a week comes home and is still workable gets an A-plus in my book. Or that I imagine at some point Magneto picked this phone up, even if he wasn't on the trip, and just held it. And if it still worked after that, that itself tells you it's an amazing design. So you didn't. Magneto has touched them, and they still turn on. Wow. That's saying something right there. <laughs> you can pick one of these up for about $346, so it's not cheap. But either is having to buy a $150 camera six times because you let your kids use it. So, Right. And there's so many of those quote unquote cheaper cameras that are meant for kids first camera. And the image quality is so poor and the user interface is so poor that it's not even fun for the kids to use. Yay, I have a camera. I took a picture of this thing. Oh, it's a pixelated piece of crap. But with this, they're at least getting decent images And I'm more comfortable spending that $340, $350 on this camera because of the securities that are built into it. The fact that it can take a drop. The fact that, oh my gosh, they set it down on the table and there's a puddle of water there isn't going to kill it. This is a great camera for kids to use. Yeah, and some of the pictures on the website are almost unbelievable. They're so good. And and video, too, of underwater whale sharks and things that they have recorded. It's just incredible. So I would love to see some of the images you can capture with this in the future, Wendy, to see how good it really is. If they can, I will definitely share what I take with it now that we're home. Robotics season is over. 
pretty excited to play with it. And then if you're looking for a camera, you might want to check this one out. Well, there you go. That's it. Our 75th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the great content on the Tux Digital Network. Head to tuxdigital.com. Check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There's so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another AI-powered episode of Hardware Addicts, where your tech addiction is never barred, but rather encouraged. <laughs> that voice, it Not really tricked bad. me. That voice tricked me. I thought, my gosh, did AI just take over? It was unbelievable. <laughs>